Welcome to the teaching ministry at Magnolia's First. We hope the next few minutes will help you take your next steps on your faith journey. And we would love to help you take those next steps. Just head over to m1bc.org and fill out the connect form and a pastor will get in touch with you very soon. Or you can text us at 281-343-3033. Well, it's great to be here with you today. As I'm looking around this audience, I've seen a lot of folks that have marriages that have probably been married a little bit longer than me. And so if I, do, if I say something that's not correct, you, you tell me later in the service, uh, hopefully after the service. And then I see some of you that might be, you know, kind of fresh in marriage. And so I'm just kind of excited to get to talk with you today about one of my favorite topics, which is marital conflict, because I've gotten good at it. I've learned how to have it. I've learned the value it can bring. And my wife and I, at times, we will be at the beginning point of what could be a rather vigorous discussion, and we'll go, how about we just stop and jump to make up? Because why do the middle? We know where we're going to end up. Let's just get, get there. Because reality is, in every marriage, no matter who you are, you are going to have marital conflict. Once in a while, I'll have somebody say something like this. My family, we, we don't have fights in our family. And my first question is, do y'all live in the same state? <laughs> because you can call them vigorous disagreements. You can call them, uh, you know, verbal altercations. It still comes down to a conflict. And today is an important day for me. It's an anniversary day. Yesterday was the anniversary my wife and I celebrated of 39 years of marriage. Yeah, that's pretty good. Today is the anniversary of our very first conflict as a married couple. And so I brought that suitcase, and I'll explain that in a little bit. But the reality is, I wasn't even 12 hours in, and I said the wrong thing. Can I get a witness? Is there another guy in here that just said, didn't mean to, it just happened. Marital conflict happens. What does the Bible have to say to us? In the book of 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8, Peter says these words, finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. And then in the book of Mark, Jesus said this to us in Mark 3, 25. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. Now, whenever we talk about marriage, especially whenever we talk about conflict in marriage, I'm very sensitive to the fact that there are people in this room where there is some real heartache that comes to mind very quickly. And it's true that both people in the church and outside of the church know what it's like to have conflict spill in such a way that it has left a mark on their life. And so I want to tell you that even if your life has experienced great disappointment, God has a good news for you today. And he wants you to know that it is possible to have a strong marriage, and it's possible even when there are differences for things to be worked out. Now, in surveys about what the causes of marital conflict were, the number one cause is what? Money. It's always. You know, he doesn't know 
how to uh, spend well, and she wants to help him. Or, it'll catch up. Uh, or, he doesn't know how to save, and she's saying, we still have to pay the bills. Money can become a significant issue. Another is in the area of finance. I mean, excuse me, of, of uh, intimacy. The reality is, is that there is a, I, I need to pause and tell you something. I skipped a section, and it threw me for just a minute. So here's the question. Do I go back and fix it? Or do I act like it didn't happen? I'm going to fix it. Is that okay? I'm not going to repeat anything, though. Does that help? But I want to go back, because here's what I wanted to say kind of as a groundwork. Whether you are as long a pastor as Ed's been a pastor, or I've been a pastor, or you're young in the pastorate, here's the reality. When you are dealing with couples, when they come in, there's some basic assumptions you can always make about them. The first is they love each other. Every one of them that ever walked in my office said, we love each other. Now, one of them came in and said something like this. Well, we get along, and we think that ought to be a good thing. They love each other. The second is, they like each other. They like to be together. They like being in each other's proximity. And I will tell you that if you want a successful marriage, loving them is a good start. Liking them is pretty critical. Matter of fact, I hope if you're sitting by somebody that you're married to today, you could look at them and say, no, no, I still like you. <laughs> the third thing is, is that they long for each other. They want to be together. They want to be intimate. They want to be able to have conversations that are one-on-one. -on -one. They want to be in the same room together. And finally, that they expect their marriage to last forever. I have never once had a couple come in and say something like this. Listen, this is what we want to do. We plan on having an amazing wedding. It is going to be color choreographed. All of our guests will wear the same colors. The pictures will be amazing. And then after that, we're going to have three years of, you know, it'll, it'll be okay. And then as we hit a major conflict, we're going to then introduce having kids into our marriage because that will solve it. And then after that, we're going to go through a period of time where we don't talk together, except we talk to our attorneys, and we blow this thing up so that we can go the rest of our lives in complication. Not once. Not one couple ever walked in and said, this is what I'm going to do. Every couple expected things to be fine. Now, see, this is where we get back to the stuff I was going to tell you, which is biggest sources of conflict. Finances. Second was intimacy. Emotional intimacy, physical intimacy. And it's the 90-10 rule. If you talk to a couple where they would say that their physical and emotional intimacy was healthy and that they were both satisfied, they would say it only represents about 10% of what was important in their marriage. But you talk to a couple where they don't have good physical intimacy or emotional intimacy, then all of a sudden they're saying it's a 90% deal killer. Intimacy can become a major issue in marriage. Priorities. How are we going to give our time? What are we going to give our work to? What about the chores? Has he figured out how not just to drive the car, but to how to drive the vacuum cleaner? 
can more than one of us watch the kids? Is it possible for a dish to somehow levitate itself from that table into that dishwasher with some assistance? Little stuff. Family, immediate family, extended family. Little did he know that when he married her, she expected him to go to family reunions. He didn't realize that she opened presents at Christmas in the morning. His family opened presents in the evening, and now she wants him to change. Do you want to know when he's going to open presents? I'll leave that alone. Okay, but the reality is things happen. And finally, communication. Because, see, the reality is when those four, first four get bumped, then all of a sudden we start saying stuff like this. You never listen to me. You never hear what I'm saying. Your mouth is moving, but nothing's coming out I need to hear. Or, you never did appreciate my mother. And no, I'm not like my father. And all of a sudden, it goes nuclear. What happened? Well, let me bring you back to my suitcase. Because literally, about an hour ago was the 39th anniversary of that altercation. My wife and I had known each other for over two years, dated. We were engaged for 14 months. We read books. We went to counseling. Matter of fact, we had gone to this deal called uh, engagement encounter. Three-day intensive on preparing for your marriage. One of the exercises that you did is they gave you a sheet of paper that had 40 items in it, on it rather, and you would go to one room and she would go to the other room, and then you would list them by priority, one to 40. And then the exercise was then you came back together and you discussed the differences in why your rankings weren't the same as their rankings. We came back, list of 1 to 40, we only had two of them ranked differently. Number 39 and number 40. And I got 39 wrong and had put it at 40, but I fixed it. <laughs> I'm telling you, we knew each other. We had talked about everything. Everything. And so we get married on Saturday. We spend our first night in the apartment there in uh, Arlington. We're getting up to get in on the airplane to drive to, I mean, to fly to San Francisco. And I've got my bag, right? I'm ready to go. And so then my wife comes out with her bag. And then the second bag. And the third bag. And the fourth bag. <laughs> and I said those fatal words. Are you aware that we're only gone for five days? <laughs> it doesn't even sound smart now. And all of a sudden, I got an explanation about how, as a girl, it's not like a boy. And about how 
she had to be ready for what the weather was like in San Francisco because what if it was hot? What if it was cold? What if it rained? What if it was foggy? What about this? What about that? I don't know where all we're going to go. I've got to have shoes that match the purse, a purse that matches the shoes, and I've got to have, and I mean, we're walking through, and you know all I can think of? Why did you open your mouth? <laughs> and this is before suitcases had wheels. And I've got the t-shirt now that says, I'm your Sherpa, because here we go. Now, I'm going to tell you something. They all got to San Francisco. They all got back from San Francisco. It was worth every moment. Let me say that clearly. It was worth it all. I'd carry those bags again. But here's the reality. We had every discussion but the one on luggage. And that became our first anniversary conflict. Now, once a year, we don't pull out a suitcase and say, let's try it again. We don't do that. And I am grateful. I can honestly say that my wife now packs in one bag because she decided to, not me. And I'm grateful. But the reality is, it can be a little thing, but it can become a big thing. But what about the Bible? Isn't the Bible full of examples of perfect families? You know, as you read through the Old and New Testament, I will tell you, as you do a quick survey, what you find out is God used families that looked like they were part of the casting call for daytime reality TV. I mean, let me just walk you through a few of them. How about when it comes to communication and blame? Genesis chapter 3, verse 12, Adam and Eve. The man said, the woman who you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is it you've done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate already. Blame me. And I wonder if sometimes after they were out of the garden, I wonder if sometimes late at night when they were finally at rest that one of them might have said something like this. Oh, do you remember when we had it easy in the garden. And boom, it starts again. What about Isaac and Rebecca? They played favorites. Genesis 25, 27. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. And here it is, a parental collision where two parents decide it's a good idea that we love our two children differently. And one will be a favorite for you, one's a favorite for me. Do you think that ever caused any conflict? And maybe you know what it's like to not be the favorite kid. Maybe you know what it's like to not feel like your parents thought you were worthy. And then you get married and you're thinking, will they think I'm worthy? Will they treat me with full love? And there's that wound ready to be touched of not feeling that you're worthy. Playing favorites. What about religious differences? Second Samuel chapter 6, verse 16, with David and Michael. It says, As the ark of the Lord came into the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window, and Saul 
King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Here, Michael looked at him and says, I thought I married a Baptist, and you went charismatic on me. You're just leaping and dancing, and I got news, fella. You weren't dressed appropriately for that kind of experience. And sometimes that's what happens in families where there's differences in what should be the place where they worship together or the way that they worship together or what they're attracted to. Differences. What about Joseph and Mary? When they played Who's Got the Kid? Luke chapter 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't know it. But supposing him to be in the group that went a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them, asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said, Son, why have you treated us this way? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you, and we were in great distress. I will tell you, during that three days when they were looking for Jesus, they could have made the choice to be at odds with each other instead of about being in agreement with one another. They could have said, you were supposed to watch him. No, you were supposed to watch him. Surely you knew where he was. But we don't get any of that. But here's what I want you to hear. When you struggle with parenting, it impacts your marriage and it impacts your kids. So what does the Bible have to say to us about dealing with conflict in our marriage? And in responding to this, I'm going to tell you what I'm not going to give you. I'm not going to give you six ways to have a good fight or seven steps for you to achieve a conversational bliss because there's plenty of different steps out there that you could look at. I want to talk to you about foundational understanding that if you'll get these three foundational truths resonating in your life, you will be able to survive marital conflict and you will be able to thrive in the middle of it. The first one is this, love God radically. Matthew 22, verse 35 says this, And Jesus said to one of them, a lawyer, who asked him a question to test him, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. And I will tell you, if you will commit to love God radically, if you decide that no matter what, my heart, my life, my focus will always be on knowing Him and being faithful to Him, and if that's the passion of your soul, you're going to be able to withstand marital conflict. You see, what God calls us to is not just to know about Him. God calls us to be intimate with Him. 
And he enables that intimacy through a relationship with Jesus Christ so that as I come to the place where in my life I look at Jesus and understand that Jesus, God's only son, walked this earth in sinless perfection and that he shows me the Father as I come into contact with him, as I come into an understanding of who he is and that in faith when I see that he literally gave himself on the cross and he became sin for me and for you and he took that penalty and that he paid it fully and that he gave up his life so I could have life with him. And that he was buried in a tomb and rose on the third day so that anyone who believed in his name could have eternal life. If I embrace Jesus that way and bring him into my heart by faith and I enter into that journey with God, the Bible says <coughs> that I can never be separated from him and that he will always be there with me and he will always indwell me. And as I go forward with him in my relationship with him, if I will decide every single day, I am going to stay focused on knowing Jesus fully and giving God total control of my life. If I will do that, then as much as is up to me, that marriage can make it through the conflict. I've got to love God radically. I'm going to tell you, it starts with loving God. It starts with loving God. And then, love each other completely. Remember what 1 Peter said, finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Don't repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you recall that you may obtain a blessing. God calls you and I to love our spouse without any asterisk. I'll love you as long as I agree with you. I'll love you as long as you do what I need. I'll love you as long as I agree with where you're going. I'll love you, and it's always with provision. God asks us to love our spouse completely. Completely. You know, years ago, my mother, who, by the way, is watching this broadcast, and when I told her I was going to tell this story, she was not near as happy with me. But that's okay. Because, you know, I told her, I said, you birthed a preacher, this is what happens. But when we were little kids, she gave us lawn darts. Yeah. These aren't legal, by the way. You're not even supposed to sell these in garage sales. If you have them at your home, well, I'd keep them. But anyway, what, the way lawn darts work is you get four of these, two red, two yellow, and two white circles. And you put one circle on one end of the field and another circle on the other end of the field. And then like horseshoes, you would stand there and you would throw your dart and try to hit the circle. Okay? Pretty simple. But I have a brother that's two years younger than me. I'm 12, he's 10, and we're thinking we can make this a better game. <laughs> so he stood over there and I stood over there because why walk back and forth? That's wasted effort. And then it suddenly dawns on you, if you don't hit the circle, you still can have some fun. And then you've got lawn dart dodgeball. Okay? Now, I will tell you, everything healed, it's fine. But 
what has happened in a lot of marriages is instead of them focusing together on the issue that they need to address, they just choose sides and go to it and start chunking. Here's the problem. When you get to that point, you often don't end up talking about the issue anymore. You often begin to hold in reserve your little quips, little things that you know that get to them. You sit there, they say something, you go, you always, you never, there's lots of ways. Is there anybody here that's married that struggles to know how to get the other person irritated? Do I need to give you a crash course? Because I will tell you, within about three months of being married, you probably know five guaranteed ways to create a fight. And so what happens is, somebody pulls out the cannon from the past, and they're in that conversation, and all of a sudden they pull out, you never loved me, or whatever it is, and chunk and go. You see, the problem is, our words have lasting impact. Not just on each other, but our words have impact on our children. Our children are learning by our example what they should expect in their own marriage. Our children are learning by our words what is appropriate or not appropriate to say. And it is critical that in our marriage, that when we disagree, that frankly, it'd be like what I told a, a church that I was working with that was highly conflicted. Your business meeting should be done in such a way and should be typified in such a way that if a lost person who didn't know Jesus was sitting here, when you finish doing your business in the most sensitive of subject, the lost person would say, I need Jesus. Because I've never seen something like this before. I'll tell you, our kids need to know we are 100% committed to each other. They just need to know it. And I'm very, very aware that there are situations and circumstances where marital unions have been dissolved and there are legitimate things that have happened, and I'm not dismissing that at all. What I will tell you, though, is this. Our kids need stability. I had someone ask me, he said, well, I'm on my second marriage. What do I do? I said, live as it's your last marriage. Live well now. You can't change what happened in your past. You know, when I was a police chaplain several years ago, we started a uh, shelter for battered women and children called Brighter's Tomorrows. And in 30 years since that time, it served over 10,000 families. And I would never look at a woman that was faced with continued injury and a lack of security, I would never look at them and say, oh, you've you got to go back and jeopardize your kids. I, I wouldn't say that to her. But let me tell you something. We give up too quick. I'm talking about in general, that's not the tipping point for a lot of marriages. For a lot of marriages, it has to more to do with their expectations and their frustrations. 
And God calls us to get past that. And we get past that by loving him fully and loving each other completely. There's going to be conflict. We do not have to separate. We can work it through. One last thing. Love your family intentionally. Not accidentally, intentionally. Jesus said, if a house is divided against itself, the house will not be able to stand. We have to be intentional in the way we love our family to bring unity by our priorities, by consistencies, because the reality is a healthy family doesn't just happen. It happens on purpose. It happens because you make a choice. It happens because a man and a woman came together and said, we are going to work this out, work this through, work through this moment to something greater. Now, I don't know where you are today. I, I'm aware, uh, I mean, I'm aware that some of us drove to church having our last marital conflict. And we're going to finish it when we get back out of the service. You know, and it could be something little like, well, you fill in your own blank. But here's what you have to know. If you will stop, just pause and say, God, I love you, and I'm going to trust you. And God, I'm going to love them and walk with them. And God, by your grace, I'm going to trust you. If you're struggling, this is the right church for you to be in. There are people here that will pour into your life and into your family. But you have to tell them. If you're at a point of transition and challenge and you're not sure what to do next, I'm going to tell you, you're in the right place. These folks love you. They'll care for you. They'll help you. There's no reason not to reach out. But for some of us, what we need to do is take a hard stop and get one thing settled, and that is my life doesn't belong to me. My life belongs to Jesus. And I need him as my Savior. And now I need to follow him as my Lord. And now I need to decide that it will not be my will, my way, but his will, his way every day. And some of us just need to reach out to the person next to us and say, I'm sorry. I love you. I'm just sorry. Forgive me for the last thing I just said. Forgive me for when I'm not showing you value. Forgive me for when I have been a struggle. I want to walk forward with you. I don't know what God has spoken to your heart, but I know this. He's got a word for you, and he's given it to you today. What will you do with it? In just a few moments, our heads will be bowed. There'll be deacons that'll be in this auditorium down here on the floor, Ed and Cindy will be here at the front. These folks love you. Take that next step. If that next step for you is, is knowing Jesus your Savior, you tell that deacon and you come down here and visit with pastor, folks are going to want to visit with you about knowing Jesus that way. Perhaps it's like the baptism we just saw and you're saying, I need to take that next step of obedience. Or maybe it's just as simple as saying, I need help. I'm struggling. 
I need someone to talk to me about what's going on inside my marriage because I want a marriage that will last. Talk to me. Whatever it is, you just say yes to what God has spoken to your heart. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we belong to you and we thank you for your love for us. Pray, Father, that in all, in all of our lives that we would have marriages that would honor you and that we would have hearts that are committed to you and that we would be radical in seeking you. Give courage to those that are struggling today that just need to say out loud, I need help. We're dependent upon you, God, in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand with me?